Hello and welcome to Bad Apple. I'm Riley. And I'm Helen. And welcome to our 40th episode. That's a pretty big achievement. Yeah. Before we jump in, I have a favour to ask. If you've been listening for a few episodes or from the very start, please take a minute to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews are super important as they help us find out what you like about the pod and help new listeners find us and start listening. Yes, please help us out with that. And by the way, if we're going off the reviews, New Zealanders are just nicer than Australians because we have better reviews from New Zealanders and more listeners. Yeah, you guys seem to really like us. What can I say? We always show up Mm. for each other. If you're not someone who's so inclined to publicly declare your opinion, then tell a friend. Or share the show along with someone who you think might like a little bit more true crime in their lives. The link to leave us a review will be in the show notes. With that done, let's jump straight in. On Tuesday the 13th of June 2006, three-month-old twins Chris and Crew Kahui were taken to the GP by their mother, Maxina King, after she discovered extensive bruising on both of their bodies. Given the nature and extent of the injuries, the twins were immediately rushed to the hospital. It was clear to medical staff that this was not an accident, which poses the question, what happened to these two babies and who could have done it? On the 20th of March, 2006, 29-year-old Maxina King gave birth to twin boys, Chris and Crew Kahui, at the National Women's Hospital in Auckland. The twins were born prematurely, at just 29 weeks. Maxina had four other children prior to this, one of which she shared with Chris Kahui, the father of the twins. Maxina's life had been turbulent from the beginning. She was born in 1977, named after her father, Mahaka Mac King. Mac had a reputation as bad news in South Auckland. By day, he was a backyard mechanic and ukulele player, and apparently his hungy was legendary. Mm. You can't beat a man with a good hungy. Mm. I've never had a hungy. A hungy is just a Maori meal cooked in the ground. I think I've had something similar, but probably not a hungy. We would have one once a year in primary school. Oh, really? Yeah. What kind of stuff do you put in there? I just vividly remember, like, really smoky potatoes mm-hmm. and maybe chicken. Mm-hmm. It's like a roast. That sounds pretty good, essentially. But by night, Mac was a violent man. He had been in and out of prison, and his first wife had left him as a result of his violence. That's when Mac met Maxina's mother, Missy who was 20 years younger than him. Maxina was the first child for the couple, but Missy was already taking care of Mac's three other children. This put a lot of strain on their relationship, and Missy turned to alcohol. They had another three children after this, but Missy was an irresponsible mother. Once, she left all the children at a bus stop, telling them to wait for her to come back, but she never returned. She tried to run away a number of times, until she left for good with another man when Maxina was just a child. Maxina was living with her grandmother in Wairoa in 1991 when her father died as a result of a brain tumour. And just the following year, when Maxina was 15, her mother died from ingesting poison at just 35 years old. This unstable upbringing plagued Maxina into her adult life, and she had her first child in 1995, a boy who they named Kizchen, which I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing correctly, but it's spelled K-Z-C-H-I-A-N with her high school boyfriend, Kevin Takahu, when she was just 18 years old. Two years later, Maxina and Kevin had a daughter, Nikora. It was after this that their relationship deteriorated. 
After leaving her partner, the young mother started waitressing at buffet restaurant Valentine's in Auckland, but spent her nights off going out and partying. Between the two activities, she didn't have much time for the children, and often other people were left to look after them. It was on one of these nights out that she met her second partner, Gerald Ashby. This relationship was dysfunctional. Maxina would steal money from Gerald to buy drugs and alcohol, and was still neglecting the children in favour of going out clubbing. Gerald admits being physically violent with Maxina, and she had stays in the women's refuge to escape the violence. Despite all this, in 1999, Maxina and Gerald had a daughter, Kiani. For a while, they stayed together, but Maxina continued stealing from Gerald and his relatives, and had also started having a number of affairs. On the 26th of June, 2001, Gerald snapped after discovering that Maxina had been involved with a Black Power associate. Black Power is an organised crime syndicate formed in Wellington in 1970. In the 80s, the group were involved in a number of political movements, but over time they became more involved with drug manufacture and distribution. Gerald took Maxina and their daughter Kiani hostage with a sawn-off shotgun, which resulted in a police standoff involving 50 officers, 14 police cars and a helicopter. After this incident, Gerald went to prison and Maxina lost custody of her three children. Kevin Tekahu took his two children into his care, and Gerald's grandmother took care of Kiani until Gerald was released from prison. With the children gone, Maxina fell deeper into a life of partying and drugs, and by the time she was 27, she had spent a short amount of time in prison. It was at this point that she met Chris Kahui, who was eight years her junior at only 19 years old. They quickly moved in together in 2004, with Maxina stating that she was looking for quote, some sort of normal family life. In the search for this, Maxina also reconnected with her estranged siblings, which one would think would be a positive thing. Unfortunately, like Maxina, many of her siblings had been left damaged from their upbringing and had been in and out of rehab for drug addictions, spent time in prison for violent offences, and had been involved with the Black Power gang. In their relationship, Maxina would often brag to friends that she would walk all over Chris, saying that she would yell and swear and wouldn't stop until she got her way. She would also engage in physical abuse, kicking him in the shins and slapping his face. Very soon after they moved in together, Maxina fell pregnant and gave birth to their first son, Shane, in 2005. The baby placed significant strain on the new relationship, and it deteriorated to the point that they broke up in September later that year. Maxina had a brief relationship with another man, but soon discovered that she was pregnant again, this time with twins, and believed Chris was the father. Despite doubts about paternity, Chris took Maxina's word and supported her through the pregnancy. As with many twin pregnancies, it was complicated, and the twins were born 10 weeks premature on the 20th of March 2006. The twin boys, Chris and Crew, were immediately transferred to the neonatal intensive care unit at Middlemore Hospital, where they spent their first six weeks. During this time, Chris and Maxina very rarely visited the twins, prompting nurses and social workers to raise their concerns with the New Zealand Department of Child, Youth and Family Services. Once the babies were six weeks old, in early May 2006, they were discharged and taken home by Chris and Maxina. At the time, the couple were living in a house owned by Housing New Zealand, with at least seven other adults and two other children, including their other son Shane and Maxina's niece Cayenne. The adults struggled to maintain consistent employment, and all of them except one had been receiving some form of social welfare. 
averaging between $845 and $1,395 a week. According to neighbors, Tuesdays and Thursdays were party nights, corresponding to the payment of these benefits. There would be loud music well into the night and often physical violence. On one occasion, neighbors reported that a 16-year-old girl knocked on their door at 3.30 a.m. looking for help, alleging that an older man had attempted to sexually assault her at the neighboring property. According to these neighbors, they had no idea that there were infants present in the house, and the behavior occurring at the house had not changed since Chris and crew were brought home. Inside the home, Maxina was struggling with the twins. After having the twins home for around a month, she admits to using pee, which is pure methamphetamine, which is also only a New Zealand term, I think. It is, yeah. We don't say pee here. And it's only come up a few times in our podcast, or with New Zealand cases. Mm. Mm. She admitted to using this once in the beginning of June. She said that she used it as a coping mechanism. The twins were still considered outpatients of the Middlemore Hospital, which meant that they received regular visits at the family home from hospital staff. At their last visit, it was reported that the twins were healthy and well-fed, no concern was raised for their well-being, and they certainly didn't predict what would happen in the following weeks. On Tuesday the 13th of June 2006, Maxina arrived home after a night of partying to find the twins had extensive bruising, and that Chris's father, Banjo Kahui, had performed CPR on one of them as they had stopped breathing. Banjo had not been caring for the twins that day. Many other adults were in the house at the time, but it was a young relative of Chris Kahui who had been left to care for the twins, but the family had refused to name them. On discovering the state of the twins, Maxina and Chris decided to take them to the GP, but not before stopping for some McDonald's. Once they arrived at the GP, they didn't stay long. Their doctors ordered that they immediately be hospitalized. Allegedly, on hearing this news, Chris shut down and refused to take the babies to the hospital, leaving Maxina to carry the babies on her own in their carriers to the hospital. However, she did stop by her house first before doing so. Also, someone needs to do a study about how often people go to McDonald's before or after moments of crisis, moments of crime. Because this is like the fifth time in this podcast we've mentioned the people of interest going to McDonald's in the moment, you know? Mm. Heat of the moment. Maccas. Hash brown moment. Definitely interesting behaviour. I guess, I mean, in this case, she was probably hungover. It's true. But I don't think that was probably a good enough reason. No. Not when you just had a relative perform CPR yeah. on a baby. Yeah. Probably, and why, I wouldn't even go to the GP. No. I'd be like, get that. Get the ambulance. Get the ambulance. When I was a kid, I think I was like one and a half. And for some reason, I got a really high fever. I think I might have been like teething or something. I don't know. But I got a really high fever and I had a febrile convulsion, which is like where you have a seizure. Mm -hmm. And we lived literally across the road from the hospital. Great. And my mum, she says she like picked me up, just ran across the road, left the house completely unlocked, ran across the road into the emergency department and like in a movie was like, help my baby, someone help my baby. And then um, I'm still here. So thanks, mum. Would, would you have died? <laughs> I don't think I would have died. I mean, maybe if she just left me there long enough. Right. Well, that's probably like proper action if your child is not well. In crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Run. I think that would be run. With the kid. Yeah. Hmm. And I know, like, family members have done similar things. Hmm. Just got to get there. Yeah. You probably have a similar story. 
my brother had a dairy allergy reaction, mm. which was pretty bad, and he went straight to Starship. You R- know? Really? Yeah. Wow. The big leagues. I think we just, yeah, I don't think we went to any other hospital, went to big league and just took him straight there. And yeah, he was also not in a great way. So yeah, I agree. Mm. Anyway, I say we should do the study because maybe people just go to Maccas a lot. Mm. I wonder if it's correlation or causation. I wonder if there's something else about the kind of people who get into these predicaments. And McDonald's. And McDonald's. (laughs) Or whether it's like crisis moments and McDonald's. Mm. Interesting. Anyway, slight trajectory. We'll pull it back from Max. We'll pull it back. Yeah. Once Maxina arrived at the hospital, staff say that she appeared almost elated. On assessing their injuries, staff immediately arranged a transfer for the twins to a specialist unit at Starship Children's Hospital. Chris and crew had both suffered serious brain injuries and skull fractures, likely caused by blunt force trauma to the head. Chris also had a broken femur. According to an expert who spoke to the Sunday Star Times after the injuries had been reported to the media, to break the femur of a baby, it must be deliberately bent at a 90-degree angle. Despite the severity of these injuries and the critical condition of the twins, Maxina decided not to ride with them in the ambulance to Starship, even though she was informed that they might not have survived the journey. She was then offered a bed at Ronald McDonald House at Starship, but turned that down as well, reportedly saying, quote, I don't give a shit. I'm going. I need my sleep. I know I name-dropped Starship already. Mm. But basically, it's the it's the hospital mm-hmm. for children. Just children, though. But it's the one you go to if something is quite wrong. And it's the one that, like, it's, it's that big. It's the one that every celebrity visits when they come to New Zealand. Mm, Make-a-wish style. Vibes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's for some context. At Starship, the twins were both placed on life support, and the police were notified of their condition. Police then visited the house that Chris and crew had lived in, and the Department of Child, Youth and Family Services took Shane and his cousin Cayenne into their care. These two children also received treatment in hospital for injuries as a result of neglect, including malnourishment and poor hygiene. They recovered and were eventually returned to the family. On the other hand, the twins were deteriorating. At just three months old, they couldn't recover from the injuries that they had sustained, and just five days after they were admitted, it was determined that there was no likelihood that the twins would survive, and they were both taken off life support on the 18th of June, crew at 5am and Chris at 6.45pm. After Chris and crew were hospitalised, the alarm was raised with police about the seriousness of their injuries, and initially a serious assault investigation was launched. However, this was upgraded to a murder investigation after the death of the twins. The Kahui family were extremely uncooperative, refusing to talk to police. On the 21st of June, the bodies were released to the family following an autopsy, and they were taken to a marae in Manuera for a tangihanga the traditional Maori funeral rites. This prompted Prime Minister at the time, Helen Clark, to denounce the actions of the family, saying that it was, quote, absolutely shocking for the family to, quote, hide behind the funeral while they were being uncooperative with an ongoing investigation and while the rest of the country was shocked and revolted by the injuries the twins had sustained. After the tangihanga, the twins were buried at the Manukau City Cemetery on the 24th of June. Before we had Jacinda Ardern, we had Helen Clark. Mm. By the way. I don't know much about her. 
What's her vibe? She was prime minister for most of what I could remember before the age of, I don't know, 11 or 12. I don't remember what she was like. I wasn't really into politics at that time. Wow, it's shocking. No, yeah. Um, but she condemned them. She really did. In the middle of a, like, Maori, like, traditional funeral procedure. Yeah, like a period of mourning. Yeah. She called them out. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, you probably couldn't do that now without being cancelled. Well, I'm not going to say she doesn't have a point, Mm. you know? She is saying kind of what we're all thinking a little bit here, is how can you go forward with this Mm. when these two twins were, like, beaten to death? Mm. But yeah, Mm. interesting. After the funeral, police were determined to get information out of the Kahui family. On the 27th of June, they went to the Kahui household and took four family members to the police station. Within the following week, Police visited the home numerous times and eventually questioned around 20 extended family members. They also took a number of items belonging to the twins from the home for forensic testing and had questioned around 90 medical staff who had been in contact with them. Police reported that even though the family were no longer stonewalling their inquiries, that they were finding it difficult to establish a case against any particular family member. By the 17th of September, Auckland newspaper, The Sunday News, reported that the list of suspects had been narrowed down to three people and that an arrest was imminent. Interestingly, in the week following this, a number of family members spoke to media outlets, claiming that they knew who was responsible for the deaths of Chris and crew. Maxina's two half-sisters spoke to TVNZ on their Sunday episode on July 23rd and named who they alleged to be the killer. While TVNZ censored the name, They didn't censor the pronouns, which revealed that they believed the killer was male. The following day, Chris Kahui's mother appeared on TV3 and challenged the identity given by the King sisters, saying that she knew that the person responsible was a woman. You mean she went on just to say it wasn't a man? Yeah, she said, I know it was a woman. Damn. That's some TV3 versus TVNZ media coverage battle there. (laughs) Probably paid her good money just to say that. Against TVNZ. Part of me... That's such a good point to bring up about, like, you know, they're kind of, like, stonewalling this investigation or, like, not being very cooperative with this investigation. Mm. But then it's like, okay, how much money did they get paid then by these news outlets to go on and say that? Exactly. Like, and your nephews or your grandchildren have been, like, neglected or murdered. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting, isn't it? Right? Like, the, the priorities there... It's like, if you know who it is, why don't you tell the police that? Instead of potentially, I mean, we don't know if they made any money, but like going to the media and doing it that way. It's just mm. not, I don't know. Anyway. With an arrest seeming imminent, Chris Kahui also spoke to the press in an interview published on the 1st of October in the Star Times. He said that he was not responsible for the death of his sons, but recognised that he was in the spotlight of the investigation, and that if the police couldn't find evidence against someone else that he would go down for something he didn't do. Unsurprisingly, Chris's theory was correct, and on the 26th of October, following a number of interviews with police, he was arrested and charged with the murder of his sons. Chris was remanded in custody until the 10th of November, when he was released on bail pending the trial. During the preparations for the trial, there were a number of delays caused primarily by the slow production of documents by the defence. Eventually, the trial began in April 2008 and lasted two weeks. During this time, evidence was presented by the prosecution that Chris had been in care of the twins at the time of their injuries, and that he had deliberately inflicted this harm. 
Chris's defense centered around placing him away from the twins at the time the injuries occurred, and positioning Maxina as the more likely killer. On the 22nd of May, Chris Kahui was found not guilty by the jury, who had deliberated for just 10 minutes before returning their verdict. Some sources say that it was actually one minute of actual deliberation and like nine minutes of admin. They were that convinced that he was not guilty. They sort of did the classic thing when you get put into the jury room and you go around in a circle and everyone yeah. says what they think. And they all agreed. Crazy. And they didn't feel a need to, to go any further with it. Was he, um, did he just have a public lawyer? Or mm, did he? I think he had a private lawyer. He had a private lawyer. Man, that private lawyer sent it. She sent it. Or something rather. She delayed the trial. Yes. To get, she, yeah. to get some documents. Yeah, some bloody good documents. I think it was some expert evidence that had to come all the way from Australia. <laughs> right. Um, Experts over here. So it was actually us taking our sweet time. Um, but yeah, that, and I guess he must have had like a sympathetic jury or like maybe there was some kind of like direction given to the jury that made it more likely that they would find a doubt, a reasonable doubt. Hmm. Lots of things can happen in a jury trial, but they are very important. Don't get me started on why we need juries. Fascinating. I wonder what went down. Mm. It's very hard to find transcripts of New Zealand court cases. Mm. New Zealand is a bit hush-hush. I've tried to find them on many an occasion. Mm. I've even tried like typing in what I think the title would be, mm. the parties' names. Not very often, if ever. Mystery. Sometimes there's high court stuff you can find. Yeah. But like... None of this stuff really ever gets there. Mm. The police were extremely disappointed in this verdict, saying that there was no viable evidence to support the fact that any other person, including Maxina, could be responsible. As such, no charges have ever been laid against Maxina or any other member of the household where the twins suffered their fatal injuries. In 2012, New Zealand coroner Gary Evans completed a report into the death of the twins. Ultimately, the coroner placed the blame solely onto Chris, saying that he was the only person present when the fatal injuries were suffered. The report reads, quote, The traumatic brain injuries suffered by Chris and crew Kahui were incurred by them during the afternoon slash early evening of 12th of June 2006, whilst they were in the sole custody, care and control of their father. Importantly, Gary Evans noted that the function of the coroner is not to determine criminal responsibility, stating that the coronial inquest was an inquisitorial hearing which determined facts and not another murder trial. Despite this, Chris's legal team condemned the report, saying that it was, quote, inconsistent with his previous acquittal of any involvement in causing the death of the twins. Maxina, on the other hand, said that she was extremely relieved to finally have an answer. The report further vindicated the twins' mother by concluding that the theory that she was responsible for the deaths was, quote, unsupported by the evidence and is without substance in fact. The death of Chris and crew definitely highlighted gaps in the social fabric, particularly for the Māori community in New Zealand. This case brought public attention to the fact that Māori children are more than twice as likely to die as a result of maltreatment than other children in New Zealand, according to a study from 2003. Today, the statistics continue to paint a negative picture. A 2020 report completed by UNICEF found that New Zealand has one of the worst records of child abuse among countries in the developed world, ranking 35th out of 41 countries. Every five weeks, one child dies as a result of family violence, 
and more than two-thirds of these victims are under two. Specifically for Chris and Maxina, there were a number of factors that likely contributed to the death of their twins. In Maxina's past, she had been the victim of family violence and witness to abusive relationships as a child, and she had carried this into her first two relationships and had failed to fulfill her parental duties. The couple were experiencing a great deal of financial stress and had an unstable housing situation, often leading to them staying with other families in small houses. Despite having a number of other adults around, Maxina didn't get the support she needed when the twins were first brought home, and she turned to drug use to cope. Chris, a young father, was often left with the three children on his own while Maxina was absent, and sometimes the children were left in the care of other young relatives while both parents were away, as Chris was often visiting his critically ill mother. While this might sound like a bad set of circumstances, it's probably far more common than you think. Many families faced with financial stress, compounded by the arrival of a new baby, or in this case, babies, will experience a number of other negative stresses, housing insecurity, unemployment, drug and alcohol abuse, and many more. Rectifying our social fabric in a way which supports those who are struggling is crucial to safeguarding the children who are born into such families. I guess neonatal support is something that New Zealand kind of does have going on a little bit in terms of home visits. We don't really have that here. Right. Yeah. We do have an organisation called Plunkett. And every so often, for the first whatever many months of a baby's life, they come and visit your baby and just check on them. I feel like that's, that's like one thing that we need, you know? Yeah, it did make me feel like I was living in a fantastic society mm. when I was watching my brother receive Plunkett treatment. I don't think we have that here. I don't, I have not yet had a baby, so I don't know, but watching... I guess some of my family members have babies relatively recently, like I guess in the last 10 years. I don't think it's really a thing, aside from like Damn. if you seek that out and right. maybe go through like the private system. Well, clearly like props to Plunkett, it's great, right? But there's an issue still mm -hmm. in New Zealand. Mm. So it's not a fix-all. No. Lots of intersecting issues. Oh, yeah. One thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. Yes. And it is hard to know where to begin. But I guess like a lot of things, the best place to start is by recognising that there's a problem. I don't know if New Zealand does that too well. I'll call us out on that. Mm. Maxina, though, has since turned a new page. She's married to a bishop and runs a fish and chips shop. She's a regular at karaoke nights at Woody's Bar in Manuera, where she competes for cash prizes. Her go-to track is Natural Woman by Aretha Franklin. So that's what she's up to. You love that song. I actually do like that song. Yeah. I would never attempt it at karaoke. No night. way. No. Apparently she's an amazing singer. True. Yeah. And so what is Chris up to? Chris is now a step-grandfather. Mm. So his family is growing. He's still very young, though. Yes. It's his wife's kid, but the wife's kid was 16. Quite young. Which he was also very young. And... And when Maxina had her first kid, was also very young. And kind of highlights the cyclical nature of these issues. Mm. And how they just pass on to the next generation. Very true. Very true. I think, yeah, definitely being a young parent is like a huge challenge. Mm. And some people decide to do that. And some people, like, that's what they want to do. And that's fine. Like, it's all above board most of the time. 
But yeah, you need so much support. Yeah. It does. It takes a village. Yeah. And when the system's not for you, supporting you, mm. then it's going to be hard. Exactly. And, and they're then, probably going to fall into these same yeah, sort of patterns. Because the children grow up in those environments around kind of chaotic circumstances. So yeah. So essentially, no one was ever charged for the murder of these twins. And those babies were with us for, what, less than 100 days? 84 days, I think. And the sad part is, statistically, we know that there's so many more children and babies in the same circumstances. Mm. That's pretty much it Mm. for this case. Sorry to leave you on that. Yeah. But that's the reality of it. That is the reality. I guess we've brought awareness to an issue, I suppose. Maybe some of you didn't know too much about. Mm. Hopefully you've learned something. Hopefully this can start a conversation, maybe, with you and a friend or a family member. And, yeah, that's all we can really do. We have shared this with you, provided you the knowledge Mm -hmm. and our unsolicited opinions. Yes. As always. Yes. We hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day or week or both. And we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. As they say, kia kaha. Kia kaha. And goodbye. Goodbye.